Hello, fellow health and safety professionals. We are coming to you live from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Fonz, Laverne and Shirley, and of course, beer. How could it get any better than that? This is Ted Speaks Live. Our podcast will focus on keeping people safe, families together, and growing your career in short eight to 10 minute weekly segments. Your host is Ted Carew, the positive safety coach. Ted has over 25 years of health and safety experience in both manufacturing and construction. He started his career in the field and worked his way up to safety director. Ted also coaches football and knows how important it is to communicate expectations and work together both at work and at play. With this as Ted's background, he is excited to share some of his experiences with you and to improve your career and your company. Our guest today is David Daniels. David is president and CEO of ID2 Solutions, LLC, certified as a safety director, violence prevention specialist, emergency management specialist, and safety and health specialist. Daniels is a member of the NSC delegates and immediate past chair of the NSC government and public sector division. Please welcome to our podcast, David Daniels. Hey, David, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Hey, we are really excited to have you on Ted Speaks Live uh, today. And to have somebody with your knowledge and understanding of uh, safety, it's, it's quite exciting to have you on the show. So thank you. Sure. Sure. My pleasure. We're always kind of learning as safety professionals how to get better and make ourselves better. Can you kind of give us a little bit of your background of your career and what has kind of gotten you to where you are today? Well, I realize we generally have limited time when we get into conversations about background, but let me give you a quick snapshot. Yeah. My safety career actually started as a firefighter in Seattle, Washington. I got a call the, actually the day before my 21st birthday and asked me whether I wanted to be a firefighter or not. And I, okay. Since at the time I was, I was working two jobs, stacking groceries and uh, washing dishes, I figured that being a <laughs> firefighter might be a little bit more fun. Why would you think that? Doing dishes sounds like a lot yeah, of fun. you know. Uh, yeah, well, anyway, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So <laughs> I accepted the job. That was on a Friday, and I had to start the following Wednesday. And uh, 20 years later, I found myself as an assistant fire chief. Wow. So it, it worked out. Uh, but along the way, I had some rather unfortunate circumstances happen to people that I worked with. Okay. It didn't necessarily happen to me, but mm-hmm. they happened to other people. So between 1983 and 95, nine of the people that I worked with either got killed on the job or died from something they got at the job. Wow. That really kind of shaped my perspective about being in the fire service and all the kind of hero worship and whatnot that you hear. I didn't really buy into it because Mm -hmm. I kind of got impacted by seeing people get killed doing that stuff. And in most of the cases when they got killed, it really shouldn't have happened, at least in my view. Uh, We were in vacant buildings really sacrificing the lives of firefighters for property was already lost anyway. So that really kind of influenced how I looked at safety in general. So I made the, along the way, I made battalion chief. And one of the positions that I was assigned to was as a shift safety officer. It was just way fun. I mean, <laughs> it still may be the most fun I've ever had. So I was a battalion chief. I covered the entire city of Seattle. And I could go to anything I wanted to go to. So every fire I went, all the hazmat stuff and the special rescue, I went to all of it. And so I get there and I get to tell people safety stuff. And I have no reports to finish. I can hop in my vehicle and leave while they cleaned everything up. Oh, okay. And I also didn't supervise anybody. 
So it was very cool that way. <laughs> but it was also my opportunity, at least I thought, I, I figured becoming a chief, I thought maybe I could kind of make a difference and all that. Again, fast forward, I decided to apply for a fire chief job myself. And that was a few years later, and I ended up in the Atlanta area as the fire chief in Fulton County, which is the unincorporated area outside of Atlanta. And I brought a lot of that safety perspective with me. Now, it had an up and a downside. The upside is that we made a lot of improvements in, particularly in training, because I I still believe that's what makes a difference. But I also, sometimes I think I might have been too hard on people because I was so focused on making sure they didn't get hurt. One thing leads to another. I finished out my career in the fire service and really started to realize that I was really more of a safety guy than I was a firefighter. I mean, like I said, I never really bought into the hero stuff about running and burning buildings. I thought it was more important to keep, first of all, the people who do the work safe and then help the community be safer so they have a fire in the first place. And so that's led to a lot of other activities over the years. And I think, matter of fact, I'm convinced what makes me a really strong safety professional is I know what the consequences of doing it wrong look like. Definitely. And a lot of safety professionals don't. And long story made short, I know what happens when you don't wear your seatbelt and get ejected from a car, when you don't check your smoke detectors and fire alarm systems, and when you put bars on the buildings that you're trying to live or work in. I know what happens when all that stuff goes sideways. So now I try to help people prevent all that stuff rather than having a problem on the back end. Well, I was just going to say, David, one of our questions was going to be, where does the passion for safety come from? But I think you've just explained that. You have so much personal experience seeing friends and coworkers get injured or killed that that really makes a difference in someone's life. And you can tell when you talk about it. Some people might love safety and learning about it and communicating. But when you have that type of background, not that that's a good background to have, but that really makes a difference. Right. I think it's also something that us as safety professionals sometimes forget as we're working with people and like that. So yeah, the passion definitely is there, David. Right, right. Yeah, it makes it more than an academic exercise. Again, I've been in circumstances where I try to share with people, you know, so the reason that you need to know that that chemical that you're working with can make you sick is, let me tell you about a story. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I can tell them a story about people being exposed to chemicals and passing out at work or set the building on fire or what have you. And virtually everything that even OSHA requires, if you trace it back, something bad happened years ago. And that's why the regulation exists. And I honestly believe that there are things we can do to prevent the tragedy in the first place. I think that's really what makes safety professionals different from like risk managers because safety professionals ought to be leading indicator driven and not lagging indicator responsive. Yes, very true. I think that's another good point Just think about training, like you said in your first answer. When training has come, that is probably one of the hardest subjects to train a lot of times. But you have unfortunately had these examples that make, hey, even though this may not seem like an important thing, it can turn into a very important thing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think whatever topic you're talking about in life, a story or a visual always hits hard when you're trying to communicate to someone something. You leave behind something and they're like, they remember that. Yeah. I've heard that you know, some of our most effective communication is through our stories. Yeah, because, definitely. You know, people, to be quite honest, don't, don't really care about the rules and the regulations and all mm-hmm. that type of thing. To be honest, I can't say I do. Because <laughs> those rules yeah. are socially constructed by some group because of something that happened to them. But the stories start to connect you to what's the real reason why we're doing this? 
there should be a reason for the rules, not just, well, this is what we do all the time. That, that gets into kind of the article I wrote is that sometimes I think we can get stuck on the last thing that happened, the last bad thing that happened, and we miss out on all the things that are still coming. Those are the ones we can do something about. What happened back in 1903 or 1953 or whatever, Mm -hmm. it's interesting history, but we can't change any of it. What we can change is what's coming next. And that just kind of requires us to adjust to what's coming in front of us and not spend so much time talking about yesterday. Right. You know, you just think about OSHA rules, right? 1970, they were put in place and all that stuff. You can have companies that are following OSHA rules right to the T. That doesn't mean people aren't getting hurt. That's exactly right. That's just something that us as safety professionals always have to remember. Just because we're OSHA compliant with everything and stuff like that doesn't mean people aren't getting hurt. So That's right. Yeah, that personal connection that you bring to it with your stories and your background. I hear Ted talking a lot about building a safety culture. And I think those stories and just human interaction is so important, I would think, in that aspect. Yeah, I think we chatted about this a little off air when we were chatting the other day, but there are organizations that I think it's called the Brady Curve, that you end up with these organizations who are so stuck on following OSHA and the rules and the regulations and whether or not we're having a recordable or not. And they forget that these are real people and even measuring safety based on nobody getting hurt is not the point. Because safety is more than just nobody getting hurt. It's about creating a, an environment where people feel that they can get the work done that needs to be done without having to worry that their arm's going to get ripped off or that their, the building's going to catch on fire, that chemicals are going to spill and make them sick. It's this whole kind of environmental thing. And like I said, sometimes we get so locked in on the rules. And we get locked in on the rules on the one hand, but we don't really tell people exactly why they're doing it. So they, they almost kind of resist mm-hmm. it's because, well, what are we doing this for? Well, because we always have. Right. And that's just not a way to motivate people to take care of themselves. Right. I mean, if we don't explain why they have to do things, why are they going to do it? They're going to rebel, like you're saying. So that, that's a great point, David. Thank you. That's right. That's right. In um, this current month's uh, National Safety Council Health and Safety Magazine, You are uh, the featured speaker, obviously, for the spotlight of the article that you wrote, Imagination as a Safety Tool. Can you kind of explain, I know you kind of started that already, talking a little bit about that, but can you explain to our listeners what your vision is for imagination for people that we're working with? Well, a little bit of that goes, again, back to the personal story. I'm a Star Trek kid. I was raised (laughs) watching Star Trek. (laughs) And I even still today, when a new Marvel movie comes out, the wife and I are in. We generally go out the first day. Yes, I love those. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm into science fiction and space travel and the future. They're positive and they're interesting. But what I started to think about is if you were to, again, look at some of the major disasters that have happened, particularly safety-related things, and really did the research, you'd find that somebody had an intuition, some facts, or an idea that something might happen. Somebody did. Rarely, rarely do we have occasions happen where people are injured or killed, and nobody had any idea that that was possible. Even after 9-11, there was the report came out that one of the failures in the country was our failure to imagine. And so our lack of imagination often is what gets us in trouble with Mother Nature or even with other people in terms of human-caused problems. So what I believe is that to the extent we can get out of our kind of routine, habitual thinking, we can actually be safer. Because 
the thing that generally gets you in trouble is the thing that you didn't think about. And sometimes uh, getting back to organizations, oh yeah, we follow the OSHA rules and we haven't had an injury for the last 10 years. That's when you really need to get concerned because what happens is you can get complacent even in your success. We've never had that happen before, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. you also haven't practiced it for 10 years now. You assume that, oh yeah, nothing happens. We don't have to worry about it. So I know we used to do those exit drills, but we don't have to do those anymore because everybody here knows what to do. We've never had these issues before, David. I don't know what you're talking about, right? I mean, that's the kind of... Yeah, yeah, well, you know what he's got. And what happens, particularly when you get new people, new people come in with a lot of energy and excitement and, hey, why don't we... Ah, yeah, we don't do that. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Well, if the hazard has not... You look at the hierarchy of controls. Elimination is at the top of the pyramid, but we spend limited time trying to eliminate hazards. We just kind of try to dance around them. So if we're not going to eliminate them, why are we practicing that thing that doesn't happen all that often? It might be low frequency, but it's extremely high risk. So that means we have to spend time thinking about, well, so what if this happened? What would we do? What if that, what would we do? That's imagination. It's not the standard lockstep, do what we always did type of thing. It is try to consider, so what is the universe of risk or of hazard and risk, I should say, but think about them. And try to consider, so which of those hazards out there has the greatest likelihood of affecting us? And let's make sure. Let's not assume that we know how to address it or deal with it. Let's make sure we do and then move on to the next one, which is the reason that, at least in my view, in my lifetime, there's always going to be a role for a safety professional. Always. Yeah. I was going to say, too, so I think that's a great concept that I don't think you really hear a lot. It kind of goes along with, like, when you tell people in any field, like think outside of the box. But how do you take that and help a company implement that, especially when you said you're going to have people that have been doing it a certain way for so long? And for some people, using your imagination doesn't come naturally. So I don't know, is it a taught skill or like, what are your thoughts on that when you present this? Actually, imagination, there's a nature and nurture component. There are actually some people and I forget the term because I actually looked it up, but there are some folks who have no imagination, but they just don't. It doesn't make them bad people, Mm -hmm. but they don't have any imagination. They don't have the capacity to imagine. Those are also folks that, A, don't make good leaders and definitely don't make good safety professionals. Uh, Good point. They just don't. Yeah. They're the folks you need to have kind of doing the mundane task of move this from here to there. That's what they should do. They should do routine types of things because that's how they think. People who are going to be leaders and people particularly who are going to be safety professionals have to have imagination to be effective. They do because they have to be, they can't live in a box because the hazards are not always in the box. Sometimes the hazard is the box. (laughs) That that is the problem. So it is about, my graduate degree is in human resources. And there's a concept that I learned back in school. We talked about person job match. It's trying to make sure that we understand here's the work that needs to be done and how it needs to be done, the skills necessary, and can we find a person to match the job rather than trying to change people to be something that they're not. I like that. That's often where our failure comes up. We try to take people that they're really not good at that. And you can see they're not good at that, but we keep them in it anyway. Ah, if they do it long enough, they'll get better. Well, not necessarily. So it's about matching people. Yeah, and and it really sounds like we're so dependent on the management for leading us, right? But we really got to be our leaders ourselves because we can't wait for others. That's right. So the thing that we have to be clear about is what are we trying to get done? What is the objective here? Mm -hmm. What and when are a lot more important than how? 
because often folks lose sight of what we're trying to do and when we're trying to do it and they get into the details and why are we even doing this? Well, I don't know because somebody told me to. Well, did the person who even told you, did they know why we're doing this? The why is just so important because why helps you do the risk assessment necessary to get the job done safely. That's a key. And that's where the imagination starts to pop up. So if I have this machine that I'm trying to service and I need to be thinking about, is it actually shut down or is there power still to it? So what might happen if I turn this on and this thing pops over here? Do I need eye protection? Do I need gloves? It's imagining what might happen to me and protecting myself from the hazard before it happens. Again, I can tell you it's been all my years in the fire service. Once people get hurt, we can go patch them up, but we can't unhurt them after it's happened. Yeah. Correct. So safety professionals are about what do we do before this thing goes sideways? Right. It's very similar to the hierarchy of safety, right? Trying to engineer things out. and It it goes along the the exact same way. That's right. Absolutely. A lot about being proactive and not reactive, right? I hear Ted talking about that a lot too. Yeah. So again, that's that connection to imagination, just people having their mind open. And you know, you can go too far with that. You can be so wide open that you're not focusing on anything, but it's open to the possibilities. And then as those possibilities start to line up, it's looking at the ones that are most likely to create harm. Mm -hmm. Right. One of the last questions we have for you today is Starting out with a quote from Albert Einstein, which I think everyone is familiar with, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. That never happened to me, by the way. (laughs) I know you and Tad briefly (laughs) talked about that. In your article, one of the things that I really thought was interesting, and we've kind of been talking about this, but you touched on the idea and you said how you need multiple eyes to focus on multiple hazards, but it's important that there be different sets of eyes. I really took away that. Can you just elaborate? I know we've kind of talked about it, but that in a nutshell. So one of my life experiences is the fact that I've generally, throughout my fire service, actually started when I was in high school. I wrestled in high school instead of playing basketball like most kids did at the high school I went to. And then I got into the fire service. And the fire service is a fairly homogeneous group. It is about 90% male. Oh, actually, about 90% white, I should say, and about 97% male. And so I found myself generally being the different person in the room, generally as it relates to my race. But then I found other reasons why I was different in the room, different because I'm not a linear sequential thinker. I can do math, but don't necessarily like it. I'm more artsy in the way that I look at the world. <laughs> so I found myself with these really kind of rigid kind of people trying to deal with a dynamic situation in a really rigid way. And fix it in a box, right? Kind of put it in a box? Yeah, put you in a box. So what I mean by, I think that diversity We're having a lot of conversation in this country right now about diversity and equity and inclusion, but it's not about how people look. It's how do they think. It's the diversity of thought that really matters. And our thoughts are driven by our experiences often. And because our experiences are different, we just see things differently. So anytime you get a homogeneous group, they all look alike, think alike, act alike, enjoy the same things, they also have the same blind spots. And it doesn't make them bad people. That's not to suggest that there's something wrong with the individual, but they just lack the perspective necessary to see something that they've not seen before, not experienced before, or don't have the imagination to even consider. So that's why it's really important to any org, no matter what the organization is, is to 
make sure that you have a group, first of all, that reflects the customers, because that's how you stay in business. You got to do stuff that the customers like, because if the customers don't like it, they'll stop buying. And in government, which is where I spent most of my career and still have a lot of my passion, it's about what do taxpayers want and need, not what do we do. It's what do they want and need. Now, there's a huge group to be able to try to meet their needs, which means we need more diverse thought and eyes in the room. If the group that we're serving are 95% white male, then we should have white males decide that. But if the group is 50% women, then where are the women involved in the conversation? Or there's some Native Americans or Asians or African Americans or people who don't necessarily speak English or what is the clientele? What is the population that we're trying to impact? We need to have those voices in the room before we decide to go out and watch something. Because, and I say this often, I don't believe in the golden rule. You want others that you have them do unto you. That presupposes that we're the same. I believe in the platinum rule, which is do unto others as they have done to them, which means I have to talk to them. What is it that would work for you? Here's what I like. I mean, I have some ideas, but what is it that would be good for you? Because if we can establish that up front, we're going to be better in serving the needs of the folks we say we want to serve. We will also get their perspective, which may be different from mine. You get it in the room up front and you get people thinking about, well, that's a good idea. But have you considered this? Because if you do this, this is how this population is going to react to it. So all of that, to me, gets back to this connection in my mind between if you really want to be safe, you can't do it by yourself. And you need to look for people who think differently than you do, not the same way. Think differently because they're going to see things that you might not see. Yeah, everybody thinking in one way, they're going to miss something, right? I mean, and, and that's where it can become a dangerous situation. That's right. Those are great points, David, and I really appreciate you uh, being on the show today. But now it's the fun time for us, at least, me being the positive safety coach. We always like to have a little fun with all our guests towards the end here. So are you ready for some fun? Uh, okay, let's give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> this is always the interesting part here. Yes. So this is what I have for you right over here. How did the risk manager feel when he discovered electricity on his assessment? <laughs> Shock. He oh, was shocked. Way to go. I think you might be that, the first person yes. that ever got one of our jokes. <laughs> you should get published. Not very many people do. I'll I tell don't you know that. if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> must have been shocked. Now, I'm going to try to get you on this next one here, okay? What is bigger than an elephant and doesn't weigh anything? You have to think outside of the box here. Use your imagination. You've got to use your imagination on this one. Bigger than an elephant and doesn't weigh anything. Hmm, I don't know, gravity? I don't know. His shadow. <laughs> oh, that was a pretty good that's one. That's correct. <laughs> okay. That's a very good one. <laughs> well, we only have one more here, which you're probably thankful for. <laughs> and Ted was nice enough to let me think of one. And I went off the imagination <laughs> theme. So I kind of trialed it here and no one really got it. So we'll see how it goes over. Okay. What do you call a dog whose owners have no imagination? Based on your article, imagination. So what do you call call a dog dog? whose owner has no imagination? I can't imagine. Bob. Hmm. Do you get it? Bob. (laughs) Because nobody else (laughs) does. Because they were very creative with their name thinking. So it's just Bob. They weren't imaginative like your article is what it's supposed to be. They weren't thinking outside the box. So. So thank goodness that's the end of our joke segment. (laughs) Yes. Hey, we want to thank you for being on the show. This was an awesome show. Thank you for your time today, David. Yeah, we appreciate it. My pleasure. 
Thank you. Thanks for listening to TED Speaks Live with Ted Carew, the Positive Safety Coach. We would love to hear from you. You can reach out through email at ted.carew at healthandsafetynow.com if you'd like to know more about our podcast or if you're interested in being a guest. Feel free to check us out at healthandsafetynow.com. Rate and review on your favorite podcast app. Join us next week for our next episode. Have a super safe week.